name is Samuel Jordison, and you are listening to the Preparatory Podcast. I am joined with my two co-hosts and friends. Who's going to do <laughs> I'm Jason. I'm Andrew. You should know that by now. You should know who it's we true. are. It's true. Well, we'll have a lot of new listeners because it's been so long. You should well, also know, we know all of our color. <laughs> we all of our know that our uh, new listeners always go to episode one. That's true. It's a mistake. A <laughs> mistake. Don't do it. <laughs> when we're all done, we are going to go back and record episode one and repost <laughs> it. We're, but then the the bar is just going to drop to level uh, episode two. Mm. Yeah, that is. And that'll true. be our worst episode, and so we'll just have to keep looping. We'll well, we can never stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Well. If you're still going through the Book of Mormon with us, you have been not reading your scriptures, <laughs> um, and shame on you. As just ironic priesthood members, we are kind of disappointed. <laughs> um, but we are kicking back off and starting right where we left off in Alma chapter 4. If you are going through, then you'll know that Alma chapter 3 just ended, <laughs> because that's what happens when you get to 4. Um, but you'll know that. Chapter 3 was a banger of a sermon. Um, real, quotable, very popular, still one of the most widely called upon chapters, I think, probably today and for classes and for sermons and just for everything is because it's a very illustrious sermon that Alma talks to the church. So we can often find things that relate to us and will hopefully benefit us in that sermon. But um, we find a little bit more in chapters four and five of a different group. So um, I'll just ask Jason to sum up chapter four here, and um, then I'll ask Andrew to sum up chapter five, and then we'll get into the basics. So basically, this is a short chapter, and Alma goes out to see the people of Zarahemla and kind of set that church in order, and that's pretty much it. Chapter 5 is Alma talking to the people of Gideon. That's it. true. In the Valley of Gideon. Okay, well, um, I don't know if you guys had any certain verses that popped out to you. Um, It says that Alma in chapter 4, he went through the land and he ordained priests and teachers and elders and um, basically set the church in order. And whoever repented of their sins and was baptized, um, they were added into the church and when reading through it, I found something interesting that I wanted to just talk about. It says, um, starting in verse 4, yeah, Those who were lifted up in the pride of their, their hearts, the same, were rejected, and their names were blotted out, that their names were not numbered among those of the righteous. And thus they began to establish the order of the church in the city of Zarahemla. So I wanted to kick this question to you guys and see what you thought. We do not blot anybody's name out from the church today. And there have been part of that's from our fragmented state and um, no one really has power over another branch. So usually if you're blotted out, I guess, of a branch, you'll just go down the street to the next branch. But there have been, I've heard, efforts and some kind of branch communications talking between each other to say, hey, this person, maybe not, and they'll have a reputation. But even then, it's usually like, well, we're not going to blot them out type thing. We're not going to reject them. So I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of what that looks like. Um, obviously, there was a place for it in that church or the church back then. 
Um, why should it be so rare today that we see it and, and should we see it? I think it's interesting. Um, I, I, I definitely feel like the most uh, blotting you'll get is, well, I, I'm thinking like kind of a spiritual rejection of a person and a physical um, because like for safety reasons, there's been people who have been um, not allowed to go to certain churches um, because of past behavior where, you know, they've been, uh, you know, kind of dangerous to others. Um, and so you have kind of the physical that you can see today still, but um, the spiritual is where it's kind of interesting where I think in this context, it seems kind of like we have um, more of a non-repentant people um, among these who are coming to the church. And I think at some point, even today, maybe we should have an outlook where it's like, if you're, if you have completely re rejected the gospel and you are not going to repent and you're just going to live in your sins and glorify your sins, then maybe we should, um, have some sort of thing. But at the same time, you, I think we're very worried about, um, you know, pushing someone who could come back. And so that is a fine line to draw. And it is interesting to see that throughout scripture of those lines being drawn, but also we kind of had more like prophets and, um, you know, kind of <laughs> leaders in the church that had that authority to do something like yeah. that. Yeah. And I hope that it doesn't come across as like, Oh, well I have people that I want to blot out. So let's, uh, let's have this yeah. round table discussion where, but I just think it's interesting. Cause yeah, it doesn't come up at all anymore of like, Oh, spiritually at least that's not something yeah. that we talk about at all. Like, Oh, that name will be blotted out unless it's like, uh, emotions are high. It seems in like a split or something like that. And then, yeah, then people are more accusatory, but yeah, I, I agree probably that it's just, I haven't heard of the safety one, the physical stuff. But I haven't gone to it's any. It's not very. very it's common. not. It's not common. But as a deacon, I uh, know some. <laughs> You've escorted some, some people out. I've never escorted anybody, oh, okay. but I I just know some stories. But <laughs> which I cannot divulge into. Yeah, that would be inappropriate for a podcast. Yeah, sure so. would. Do you have any thoughts, Andrew, of that answer? Yeah. So I, I. Uh, very much agree with Jason's answer and I tend to think in that same manner that uh, the spiritual part of that situation is is uh, a little bit more complex obviously um, but I think that lends itself towards where we are today with our levels of discernment or maybe lack of discernment because I feel like with the people that have the gift of discernment very prevalent, they don't have that issue. They don't have the issue of being... Of drawing a line. Sorry. Of drawing the line mm -hmm. on where to uh, blot people out and where to not blot people out. Really? You know, physically or spiritually. But I, be, but I think because we have been in such a fragmented state like you mentioned earlier, um, it it brings us to a spot where we don't have 
that gift of discernment as prevalent as it should be. And I think that doesn't help the issue that we're talking about for sure. It's interesting that if you go into early church history of the Latter-day Saint movement is that people were excommunicated a lot more than oh yeah i mean definitely even some of the 12 even a lot of the 12 yeah a lot of the 12 were (laughs) it's crazy the witnesses were uh, or some of them were the whitmers were cowdry was just crazy that and and you look at that and you're like why i think one of them was accused of not following the word of wisdom yeah but um yeah it's true even then it was like shaky evidence or something like that but still yeah i don't know if that person was actually excommunicated or if they just wanted to excommunicate him, but I don't remember exactly. But yeah, but yeah, still a whole lot different than now. Yeah, <laughs> obviously sure. it's it lent itself to the church splitting eventually. Joseph being martyred, and um, so I don't know necessarily if those were good excommunications or not. Um, only God did knows they that. continue with Joseph the Third. I think they did. Excommunication yeah, as much there. I think I don't well, either. not as prevalent in the hierarchy of the church. I say hierarchy, but in the leadership of the church, I don't think it was as prevalent then. But there were excommunications. The LDS still excommunicates people sure, regularly the for the yeah. uh, if yeah. they bring out evidence against the church or something like that. No. Yeah, that definitely happens. Yeah, but I don't know about the RLDS. Besides, most of the 84 silencing it's funny because we're talking about stuff that people were definitely alive for and could definitely yeah. have their own opinion on what happened but we weren't alive yeah. for it so <laughs> that means we have the best opinion <laughs> but what you might say is and that time we would argue that those blotting outs and those rejections of them were done falsely or yeah without or in the opposite manner yeah um Okay, well, I didn't want to spend too much time on that, but I just thought it was an interesting topic to raise a question about. Um, but going on, just in that next verse, um, it wants Alma wants to make sure, or actually uh, Mormon's writing, and he wants us to understand that the Word of God was preached to everyone. There was no one that was left out of the preaching. And he makes a point that says um, the children of God, they they made sure that everyone would would hear but then they would also get together separately and i thought that was a cool um, illustration or a very clear illustration of there's a time for the church to be out preaching or out doing missionary work and making itself available to others and there's also a time when the church needs to be focused on itself and make sh- making sure that it's strengthening its members, that it's not so worried about, I don't know how to phrase this without being, because I think it could make people's feathers ruffled in a way, so it has to be taken in context, but it's not all about getting people into the church. It might be about making sure that the people in the church are being taken care of and fed and supported and and provided for. And also, so this is in 5 and 6, but it just this is also a touchy topic but there are times i think when we say things that new members might be shocked at or be like yeah i'm not about i don't want to be here this is not an okay place some of those things are obviously not christ-based but some of those other things are just that person isn't ready to hear yet or might be 
turned off to the idea because they still have a worldview that has been shaped by the world and not one with, this sounds haughty, but a relationship with Christ. Do you guys have any thoughts on? Yeah. Well, on that point of what we're preaching about and, you know, how we interact at church, like some people just don't even know what we're talking about because we're talking Book of Mormon, DNC, church history stuff. And a lot of that can be hard to follow, even for a member, um, especially some history. If you don't really, not well versed in history and you don't know all the players um, in the story. And so, um, yeah, I, I think as a restoration, we're not the best at um, bringing in new people um, or, you know, just preaching sermons that just anyone can listen to um, all the time. Some people do, and some people are great at it. And um, I think we do preach, you know, kind of the basics every once in a while, but, you know, also every once in a while you get some of the stuff where a guest would just be completely lost. Um, but when we're preaching the word liberally like that, um, yeah, there's definitely a time and place. Uh, and what came to my mind was just, yeah, if you're, I, I think some people are really focused on outreach and some people that's not their talent and don't get, some people just get fed through the outreach and other people don't get fed through that because it's just something they're not it's very draining good at. to them. It's very draining. Um, and they need some cultivation in their own churches that um, really feeds them. Uh, and so it, like we keep saying, it's a balance between two. It's not just like two types of people either. It's right. two types of, I don't know, living at, I mean, you can be one way one day and then the next day you'd be the other way. Like, I mean, I don't know. Jesus even took time to strengthen his relationship with God in the desert. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took a lot of time by himself. If if the, his message to us was to minister to everyone at all times and ignore, I mean, like, ignore the people you've already talked to once, <laughs> then he, he kind of did a bad job of, of bringing that message forth because he... I mean, he spent a lot of time just going to God, showing, I mean, even he needed direction back to discernment anyway. Yeah, the example of Christ is basically how he should be, especially if we, you know, are in a stage of our ministry where we are reaching out because, um, yeah. like, what, what does that look like, though, from a church, like a Sunday morning yeah, that's, that's the hard part, and that's what I don't think any of us have really quite found the balance of. Um, and I think this goes through um, different denominations as well. Um, some denominations are great at bringing people in, and then um, you just never fully get to um, more meat, or it's kind of distorted to still bring in more people. Um, and some people are, you know, try to conform to society and to bring people in. But yeah, there's, there's that balance that you got to find when 
you're trying to retain people and actually, you know, especially as priesthood, you know, shepherd the flock where, you know, you're, you got to lead your people somewhere um, and not just lead them to the group. Yeah. I wonder what if you looked at a broad, I don't, we don't have this information, but a broad picture, like a graph of how if we're losing people faster or if people are coming in and then how long they're staying because you know like new businesses it's like if you get 95 percent of them leave within or fail within a year and then of that five percent another 80 percent of them was it fail within five years or something like that Mm -hmm. so i wonder how many people you're retaining not that people are restaurants but you know that same what are those statistics look like i'd be interested to know if we had that but we don't um, and then, not to end on a well, that wasn't a bad note. That was a. It, I thought I found a clear picture of of taking care of others and also taking care of ourselves and making sure that the church is strengthened um, from within. Um, but that pretty much ends chapter four as Alma basically just heads over to the Valley of Gideon and the city of Gideon and the people of Gideon. And um, as we enter into five, it's basically. The realization that these people have not been in close contact with those of Zarahemla because multiple times Alma says, I was a little worried that I was going to find the same things over here that as I did in Zarahemla when I had to preach a pretty sharp sermon, um, sharp being pointed and very much a call to repentance. But luckily, you have not been influenced by anything. And uh, blessed be the name of God that he hath given me to know. Hey, yea, hath given me... In- unto me the exceeding great joy of knowing that they are established again in the way of his righteousness. I'm sorry. He's talking about Zarahemla there. Um, but he then he then he goes on to say that I trust according to the spirit of God that I'll also have that same joy over you guys. And I don't know if anything stuck out to you guys in this chapter or not. I had a couple notes. Did you guys have anything as he preaches to the people in Gideon? This is a pretty small stop along the way of his preaching series. Um, comparatively we often highlight one chapter three um, but also chapter six is where he meets um, Amulek and that kicks off more I don't know if I'll say uh, memorable story and and events that happen but definitely this is a smaller pit stop on the way I uh reading through the beginning of this chapter and how Alma's kind of greeting them I I don't know if maybe I missed it or what, but he was basically like, you know, you guys are in way better shape than, you know, your brothers over there. Why does he know that? Um, do we know? Um, no. Um, he says in verse 8 or 7, I trust according to the spirit of God, which is in me, that I shall also have joy over you. So he's evidently saying the spirit is telling him, but... He, it never says he stops and talks with anyone in between this message that he gives in from 5 to the end of the chapter. But he ends, um, not ends in the middle of speaking in verse 33, he says, I perceive that you are in the paths of righteousness. So evidently he was given to know in his preaching that the message that he had to give to them was not one of, I call you to repentance, but one to keep enduring and one to keep... Um, remaining in that path of righteousness, which leads to the kingdom of God. So, I don't know. I've often wondered that, actually, because personally I feel that the branch 
that I go to is so hard because I'm sure there are problems and I we're not even members really of the branch that we go to yet and that's just because our lives me and Zoe's lives have been so crazy and we're always going somewhere different um but as we've been going to this branch more regularly I none of the nothing deep-seated has come up and as far as we know everyone gets along pretty well um and so it can make a difficult time when (laughs) thinking of things to preach about because um most of the things that come up are sins that I struggle with seemingly more than anybody else in the branch. So it's interesting to see Alma talk to a people and it's not one of anger or one of not even anger, but sharpness and put the fear of God in them. It's much more of a encouraging message. And so that's very hard. I think we get down on ourselves, especially in the restoration um, branches because of our whole state as a whole um and maybe you can we can just speak to that in our sermons uh, but there's obviously room for sermons and messages that portray good and encouraging words but whether we are supposed to preach that or something else is up to the spirit and our and um and our listening to that spirit yeah that's another discernment thing too um in our own branches of discerning the needs of the people and um you know if you're if you are able to discern that all these people in your branch are kind of either dwindling in unbelief or um are prideful or are doing really good like you kind of gotta discern that and kind of you know see what god has for them um yeah that's I just it's such a tough thing because it's not a physical like hey spend this amount of time and you'll come away with the right discernment it's um it's not a hey do x and equals y it's a just like I couldn't tell someone to go knock on Jason's door and spend 30 minutes with him and you'll come away with everything you know need to know about Jason like in those 30 minutes, that person will probably get the basics about you, but they might not find out what you really want to say to uh, your church group or whatever. It's like a relationship that requires time and effort. Um, I thought um, I'd bring this up. In 519, um, this is Alma and talking to the people. He says, um, he was talking about Jesus coming. He says, and behold, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem, which is the land of our forefathers, she being a virgin, a precious and chosen vessel. Um, And it goes on. But this is actually one of the attacks against the Book of Mormon is that um, he says Jerusalem here. And um, the argument being that um, this is a mistake that Joseph made in his writing of the Book of Mormon, that he, he should have known that it was... Bethlehem, or um, the Spirit would have said that it was Bethlehem um, if he was really writing, or Mormon should have known it was Bethlehem because of how holy a city Jerusalem was to them. Um, but in our apologetics and stuff, I just thought that I'd bring up that um, this is taking place um, hundreds of years after Lehi has left the land of Jerusalem. Um, this people that are... Um, you know, 
now inhabiting the land over here um, have no physical ties anymore to besides you know uh, well no real ties no way to talk to anyone over here or in the old world no way to communicate all they have is the account of their forefathers as alma mentions and the only city they really care about is jerusalem because that's where lehi came from and so the the defense that we've always had is that if you travel somewhere or one of us would travel somewhere far away and have a kid and they would have kids and then eventually those kids would be asked hey where did your people come from us living in kansas city they or independence in blue springs they'd probably say ah, kansas city because that was a place that people knew and that was a place that they recognized so um that is a sufficient answer for a lot of us some people don't take that as a sufficient answer but i was just thinking about that because i i mean i live in springfield now and i every time somebody asks me i say kansas city i don't even bother saying independence or, or let alone grain valley which is i'm which is where I'm actually from, you know? It, it's just a, a level of like, oh, I'd only say Grain Valley if the person who I was talking to was from here and familiar with these places because I just don't want to go through. Like, that's all. not the important part. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, I mean, the area. I'm from around here. And so by saying Kansas City to someone who doesn't know the area, it actually means more to them than to say well actually i lived 30 miles east of kansas city and then now it's more of like a where don't you live yeah because kind of it's not kansas city but actually where I, is that <laughs> with um at work in um columbia we were talking me and two other co-workers and it came up oh what are you doing for the holidays uh, I'm going back to Kansas City. And the other one was like, hey, I'm going back to Kansas City. And the third one was like, hey, no way. I'm actually headed back to Kansas City. And then they were like, well, actually, I'm headed to Independence. And then we were, me and the other two coworker were like, oh, we're actually headed to Independence too. You know, like all three of us were yeah. headed to Independence, but we all just said, no, we're headed to Kansas City for, right off the bat. And, um, you just get kind of used to it after yeah. a while. I don't know. It's, it's the big city around you, you know. That's yeah. how it goes. It, and it doesn't feel dishonest to say Kansas City. No, yeah. Like, it's how we actually identify where we're from. Right. It's just mm-hmm. we say it more to other people than in between ourselves. It's like, oh, yeah, I live in Blue Springs, but it's... And it changes, too, when you get further away from home, the broader oh, yeah. the place you can... I mean, your friend yeah. becomes every vacation I'm on. I've never said anything besides Kansas City. Well, I imagine that in this time, I was talking to the people, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so maybe someone will correct me here. Something if we ever had a Hebrew scholar listen to our podcast, but um, I imagine that if Alma was preaching and he says, "And behold, he shall be born of Mary at Bethlehem," the last thing he wanted was. What's Bethlehem? Like, he's like, that's not the point of what I'm telling you. You know, like, I'm telling you, Jesus is being born in the old world type thing. Our Savior is coming. And they'd be like, yeah. well, where is Bethlehem? Yeah. You know, is he? Is it close to here? Is it? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, oh, no. <laughs> that's what you get overseas when you say you're from Missouri. Yeah. They're like, what's a Missouri? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I don't know any of those yeah. states. Yeah. Like, is that your town? Is that your village is you know like 
Yeah. So uh, eventually you just say, well, I'm from the middle of the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Right in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, I know vaguely where the U.S. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then just moving on, um, another question I wanted to ask you in 520. Um, it says, talking about Jesus, and obviously he's being born of the Holy Ghost in the land of Jerusalem. Um, and he shall go forth suffering pains, afflictions, and temptations of every kind. And I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think um, it tells us about Jesus when it says that he's suffering? Um, what does it tell us about him personally um, that we can lean on? I, uh, I mean, it's so obvious, but it's something that means more when you've, uh, when you've suffered. Um, the natural thing to do or to become is is to become calloused and it's just amazing to see him be tempted with that i mean like that's that's the natural reaction and and yet he was so you know perfect enough he was just the same (laughs) it's just crazy uh it means more i think after You've gone through some hard stuff, and you're like, "Dang, that really toughened me up." And you know, whereas Jesus just let it, let it kind of hurt him. I don't know. That well, might not be a good yeah. way of saying it. But. I just think that it's interesting that you had he could. I mean, say the parameters were set that hey, Jesus had to die. Okay, well maybe he could have had like a, mm. a life as a prince or whatever. Been mm-hmm. like okay. I'll make it really comfy, then I will die, and then, you know. In but sleep yeah, or something. Like yeah. That. yeah. Um, <laughs> but he didn't, and it was rough. And I just think that, that it shows, one, that, yes, like the character he was, um, I hadn't thought of it from that angle, that he he never got calloused. He, he always stayed true to the mission. Just like the empathy he can prove now he had and that he endured literally everything, stubbed his toe, sleep-deprived, he went through it all like as little as he did um and or no excuses yeah no excuses yeah. not as little as he did um as little as those things may have been like stubbing right. a toe or sleep deprivation and then also got whipped and crucified um but I like just in the spirit of empathy type thing like now you have a god who has gone through everything that you went through um you when you said callous i was thinking about um my time as um when i was first out of college and um i was applying to all these jobs i applied to 35 at least and i got two interviews um one was a phone interview and then it didn't go over that and then one was the job i'm at now and um (laughs) that was like um, everyone has their job hunting story but um after I did get my job, I work in HR. So then I set up interviews for people. And I just remember thinking the moment after I got hired, like that first week, setting up the first interview, like I just wish I could give everybody a jo- this job because we had a bunch of applicants for it. And it's like, I, they are all deserving. Like they all should have it. And now, you know, a year and a half in, it's like, eh, you know, <laughs> back to the, eh, they'll find another job. I'm not too worried. But how quickly that changes from like, oh, no, this physically caused me to be like, I am so sorry that we're not hiring you. 
you're a great person no matter what happens here you know you'll find your way and now i'm just like hey it's part of the business type thing quite totally calloused but jesus never got calloused to that i saw that a lot in in healthcare too funny enough like yeah i mean because i was never that deep into healthcare or anything but I'd come across nurses who had been there for 30 years and they're, and they're just like, well, I just had a patient, you know, and they're just talking so calloused about like what just happened. And then they're like, dang, my, my pregnant patient is asking for more water. I can't believe she's so needy. <laughs> oh, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, you just never think about that. But when you're confronted with everybody's problems which is something that jesus another thing that jesus had to go through like constant confrontation with just everybody's problems they weren't even giving him good stuff hardly they were always just like hey i'm sick hey my brother's dead hey you know all that stuff and it's just so hard to not be calloused it's yeah. just crazy it also speaks to um, the just how crazy cool Christianity actually is, um, because if you just look in the world, there's just so many, you know, gods that people will follow, and no other god has the story, the uh, physical proof. Um, of him being there or just anything like that than with Christ and you know to be born just like any of us in worse conditions than any of us will ever be born in um, and then to never you know take much uh, physical power um, or political power and would just you know, eventually just basically got killed and he was innocent. And, you know, that just shows kind of just, you know, the, it, it's the only religion where, and, you know, I'm saying the only, but I don't know every religion or anything, but um, it's just like the only religion that you just have such a personal savior who did what you do and had it, probably worse in a lot of ways than you um in every way <laughs> in every way uh you know there's there's people out there that have probably had sure. it pretty bad yeah um and then you know died in a very non-glorious way um you know very embarrassing um and it's just and then afterwards he comes back and he still shows that he cares about the people that just killed him, the people whose you know sins he took on, that put him on the cross, and you know the whole reason he came was to sacrifice himself for us. Um, it, it's just amazing that that's the religion that we follow, and that you know we have that gift. So. That's something that Paul really uh, embodies all the time, and he kind of he knows it too. It's it's kind of funny. Um, there's that story of him talking to the people who are worshiping the unknown god, and I 
I uh, I always really like hearing that story. It's kind of funny. It's also like Elijah mocking the priests of Baal, saying, "Oh, he's probably on the toilet." Is <laughs> yeah. just because he's so confident in in his belief and and everything. I don't know. Paul was the same way. Good old Paul. Yeah. Good old Paul. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we we can have confidence in god and jesus and you know we like there's so many blessings that have manifested themselves in many of our lives and um just he reveals himself to you like actively and all you have to do is decide to follow him and repent and then you're on this amazing journey where you know the god of the universe is you know seeking after you and yeah do you think uh, i'll throw this question out here to you guys do you think that uh a big reason why um tying this back to discernment do you think why i and i guess i'm i guess i'm going out on a tangent and saying <laughs> you don't want to see that uh, i don't have to you'll be gone that's by the true <laughs> i'd be out the door i guess i'm going out on a limb and saying that people don't have the confidence that that the people of of the bible had in in jesus and, and maybe just faith in general um but do you think that is um, related to the amount of discernment we have uh yeah i think as you use it you'll grow like um because it's i think it's one of the gifts isn't it it's listed as a gift Mm -hmm. or we often talk about it as a gift if it's not listed as a gift but just like any gift the more you use it the more it is multiplied within you or grows so i think that probably so i also saw um this today that um the same well the same gift that was in david of like um courage and like um willing to stand up um to goliath when he became stagnant and 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 powerful and kind of relied on his own was used when he decided you know what i have all the power and i can put your eye at the front of the lines and have them killed Mm -hmm. and so the point being made is that you have a gift now i'm off on a tangent probably this isn't answering your question but um i have the gift or to david finish that up is that you can have a gift and if god's not using it if you're not using it for god then the devil's going to use it for whatever he can because he's like oh i recognize that and it'll be even more devastating for you to use that in my work than me to use something else within you so um, I, w- I bet I could see discernment being one of those things that um, if it's not used for, for good or for glory or, or even um, built upon and say, I'll practice this and have discernment about, what was your original question about discernment about what exactly? Well, Having so confidence. Having confidence. Yeah. I, I bet he can use that to say, you know what, you're not sure of yourself at all. And then even trick you into being like, well, I'm not supposed to... St- talk at all right now um i know that i'm not supposed to talk because i have the well you probably wouldn't think this in your mind but basically the discernment i have tells me i'm a fool and i should not speak or that other person is a fool and should not speak and then it just becomes a negative thing 
just to further the question, I guess, um, or the analogy, I think a really easy, easy example for everyone to see and everyone can kind of uh, imagine vividly is someone with schizophrenia. Like at, at some point, they might find out that what they're seeing isn't real. And then it totally blows their confidence of, I don't know what's real and what's not real at mm. that point. You know, and so a big thing with their therapist would be you need to differentiate what is real and what is not real. And in that process of like physically discerning what's truth is is so hard for them, you know, and, and we're all going through that that same thing. I think a part of it, too. Um, I agree with what you're saying. Um, but some of that lack of, um, confidence or really faith that we have, uh, it it also is just a sign of the society and times that we live in. Um, because we are a very materialistic world. Um, and just especially in the U S um, like I'm sure there are, you know, people in um, lesser uh, prosperous countries that have that, like, just pure confidence because that's all that they have. And I think, you know, when you, in America, most of us make our own way, we're able to get jobs and, you know, even the poorest of Americans you know, can have a phone and, um, you know, there's obese, poor people. Um, and so all I'm saying is when you're fighting for your own way all the time, you start to put your faith in yourself and, um, you don't really recognize, uh, a lot of the times where, God has blessed you along the way. And um, we also just are very um, uh, skeptical uh, of everything. (laughs) Uh, We're just a very skeptical people. And so even those blessings that do come in our lives, if they're, uh, we're easily, we can easily explain them away. And um, when a lot of times it's just God using things in the world to help you and you're just you just see the things in the world but not god helping you with that um so yeah i think that's where some of the lack of confidence we also have in christ comes from for sure i agree confidence in christ is everything according to paul well not everything but he boasted in it um let's circle back before we end because um running late on time um last question for you and this goes back to the beginning that's what i mentioned circle back um in verse 33 um is one i answered about jason or one that stuck out to me about jason's question about do we ever know why he alma preaches righteousness and encouragement to them um and it's just that he perceives that ye are in the paths of righteousness and I perceive that ye are in the path which leads to the kingdom of God. Um, is there room for us today to say any of us are in the paths of righteousness? And um, room for us to say from the pulpit that maybe people are 
um, doing what they're supposed to. I sure hope so, because as it goes on um, in 38, he says, And now, my beloved brother, and I have said these things unto you, that I might awaken you to a sense of your duty to God, that you may walk blameless before him. So obviously they weren't, I mean, he was commending them for what where they were, but the paths of righteousness didn't mean that they were in the city of righteousness, right? They were, they were on their way. And, and so I hope we can say that about us too, is that we're on our way and we might not be there, but I mean, as long as you've not removed yourself from, from going to that, that, uh, destination of righteousness and perfection and, and repentance and, and all of that, you know, one of the things that amazed me when we started doing classes with Doug Smith is when, um, the kingdom of God, we'd ask, you know, that was his message that he wanted to bring to everyone. And, um, we know there's steps for being in the kingdom. And one of those is being baptized and then having that spirit to be with us, um, um, by keeping the commandments and, and, you know, so you ask him, well, are you in the kingdom of God? And he'd say, yeah, as long as I'm keeping the commandments, which, uh, blew my mind. Cause I was like, Whoa! How are you allowed? To, <laughs> how are you allowed to say that? that? That we're supposed to be always chastised and stuff, and we're never there yet, type thing. But um, you know, and and his thing agreed with you, like, hey, we're not there yet necessarily. There's more work to be done, but as long as I'm in the, keeping the commandments, then I'm walking in the paths of righteousness, and eventually, I hope to be in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Jason, do you have anything to add before we? Wrap uh, up? Yeah, so just how to know if we're on the path of righteousness, I think here Alma also gives good advice on how to know just by what he's telling the people of what they need to do. Um, You know, in 16 he says, um, basically, repent. And then he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the Son of God draweth nigh or something like that, paraphrasing. Um, you know, and then, uh, in the next, basically the end of the chapter, he says, um, and now I would that you be humble and be submissive and be gentle, easy to be entreated, full of patience and long suffering, uh, being temperate in all things, being diligent and keeping the commandments of God at all times, asking for whatsoever things ye stand in need of both spiritual and temporal, always returning thanks unto God for whatsoever things ye do receive. And see that ye have faith, hope, and charity, and then ye will always abound in good works. And may the Lord bless you and keep your garments spotless. Um, and so there it is. Like, um, that's the call that Alma gave to the people here. And um, he also commended them for their faith. And um, so, you know, have faith, hope, and charity. And, um, follow the commandments and give thanks to God, you know, and you're going to be in a a pretty good spot. He promises peace. Yeah. So if you want peace, do that. Peace is very important right now. It sure is. We're not very peaceful people in many ways. Individually or collectively. Yeah. So there we go. You got to fight for your right for peace. (laughs)
was horrible. Yeah, it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank everybody for sticking with us. If you're one of the 13 listeners who was like, oh, I haven't listened to this. Maybe you forgot what it was. And so you clicked on our podcast to remember what it was. (laughs) Hi, Jason's mom. (laughs) Hi, Mrs. Kane. Um, Well, we are hopefully going to be back on track. Um, A little news that we didn't announce beforehand is that Andrew got engaged since our last episode. And Andrew's also gotten married (laughs) since the last episode. Wow. But we're back on track now. And uh, so hoping to get these kicked off again and more regular and uh we'll just hope that um you hear from us again soon so thank you for listening and god bless we love you so